you to stand with us as we sing uh, This is Amazing Grace.
And um, Brother David and Miss Cammy are traveling and on vacation, probably coming back this week. And it's good to have the whole Mayfield clan up here, right? Save one, save one, leading us. It's a blessing to, for them to help out today. And we always love to hear them uh, worship the Lord and lead us to do the same. There's a connection card in front of you if you're a visitor in the back of the pew. We would uh, greatly appreciate if you would take one of those, fill it out. And as you leave, drop it in the offering plate. We would love to have a record of your visit. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Uh, glad you are here, and we will continue to worship together. Great God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we exalt your name. And uh, Lord, we do sing to you for all that you have done. Lord, who you are, Lord, what you have accomplished in us. And certainly, Lord, we will see... This beginning in verses 1 and 2 of the book of Ephesians. Lord, it's almost like Paul is saying, let the praise begin. Put our focus upon how great and awesome you are and the fact that all these blessings are ours. New covenant blessings because we are in Christ Jesus. And we thank you for that promise given to us in your word. And Lord, today may... You be pleased with your servants. You've brought us before you as an audience to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we ask that, Lord, we would offer our sacrifice of praise, Lord, from a pure heart, Lord, that would bring you glory and honor. And, Father, may uh, our adoration to you and our singing uh, be a reflection uh, of your fame, Lord, that should be spread uh, to all corners of the world. And Lord, may you add to that heavenly chorus one soul today uh, that will continue to bring you glory and praise. And you've promised that the Lord Jesus will be glorified among the nations, and you will come through with that promise. May you add another to it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated for a moment. We're going to introduce a uh, a new song to you. We've, 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 saying this a few times in student ministry, but um, just just this thought of I would be hopeless and and without your goodness and without your love, slave to the darkness without without the cross. And so uh, Alyssa's going to read out of Romans, and then we'll sing. This is Romans chapter 8, 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has not done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to flesh but according to the spirit. (laughs) 
goodness, I would be desperate without your love. Slave to the darkness, if it wasn't for the cross.
fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still and striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here is a love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, every sin on him was laid. The ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Just like we've done the last several Sundays, we're just going to have a time of prayer. We just ask that you would spend this time in prayer. Uh, feel free to come forward. Uh, pray, for, pray for our staff. Pray for our church. Pray for our nation. And uh, pray for your families.
Father, we thank you, Father, for your goodness, for your kindness that leads us to repentance. If it wasn't for the cross, we know we would be desperate and in darkness. We just thank you for the power of the gospel that changes lives. We pray for our church and our, our city and, our, and the nation, God, that that power of gospel um, would extend and you would redeem souls like only you can. Only through the blood of Jesus, we thank you. In his name we pray, amen. together holy
be seated. You might need that. Amen. Well, the rocks shall not cry out in my place. What a song. Uh, I hope you were singing. If not, I don't know if you're saved. Seriously. The rocks were crying out in your place, right? Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to talk this morning about the sovereign God and a Christ-centered greeting. When you write a letter, you normally, usually follow somewhat the same format. Now think about, some of you you haven't written a letter since you wrote your girlfriend and boyfriend back in high school, right? Read all these letters. I hope you knew the recipient of that letter, right? If you were writing one of them. But there will be an identification of the writer and identification of the recipient, and normally there's going to be some kind of greeting that you will give the person that you're writing to. This was very true in the ancient world, and it's true today. Now, of course, the deliverance, the delivery of that mail was much different back in the ancient world, right? We just have to go through the postal service to get them to send the writer to the recipient. Although in the ancient world there was a customary greeting that contained the writer, the recipient, and a greeting, Paul puts forth a Christ-centered greeting. So this greeting is going to focus upon the relationship that the writer and the recipient share in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is important because it's going to set the stage for everything else Paul is going to give us in the book of Ephesians. I hope you realize that all of our new covenant blessings that we have as God's children come through Jesus. If you are in Christ, <clears throat> then you have all of these covenant blessings that will be given to us. In particular in Ephesians 1, uh, beginning in verse 3, going down through verse 14. So, you know what this means when you hear me talk like this. is to remind you that... Uh, Verse 1 and verse 2 are extremely important. It is uh, packed full of truth. So Paul is setting the stage to let the praise to our God begin. And what a wonderful song that we just heard to remind he will demand the highest praise. And that's what is going to be given to you in Ephesians chapter 1 as we pick up in verse 3. We're going to bless The Lord our God, for all of our spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. So let's read this together. Notice, you can't see this as much in the English. Well, you should be able to. But in the Greek, it is highly clear that in each phrase, which there are three phrases put together, notice that it's either Christos, Asus, or it's Kyrios, Christos, Asus, So all three times there is the emphasis upon Christ. So it's easy for me to tell you 
that it's a Christ-centered greeting when all three of the first phrases have either Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ the Lord. And notice how Paul starts. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. That's the first phrase. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Second phrase. And here's the third. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you take Ephesians 1, 1 and 2, that seem quite ordinary to us as a greeting, then basically the whole epistle is given to us in the first two verses. The will of God, you see it? The will of God, the saints, grace, faith, and peace. And how do you have all of these? In Christ Jesus. What an incredible introduction. So, I've divided it into three sections for you to help you know what it is. And it's given to you in, the, in, the, in your handout, in your bulletin. <clears throat> and so first, we need to recognize the sovereignty of God in the call to serve Christ. And this is what Paul does. Paul, an apostle, how? By the will of God. What was Paul's service to the Lord? For him, it was an apostle. That's how God called him and commissioned him. So he's going to give his, what we might call, apostolic credentials. And his credentials are the, is the fact that he was called, he's of Christ Jesus, and he is an apostle. How? By the will of God. Now what was Paul's Hebrew name? Saul, and his Greek name was Paulos, or Paul. And what do we know about Paul? He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, but he was also a Roman citizen. You can read Philippians chapter 3 and you can learn autobiographically all uh, about Paul that you want to know. But what else do we know about him? He was a persecutor of the church. We all know the story of Paul's conversion. If you don't know the story, you've at least heard the expression, a Damascus Road experience. How many of you have ever heard that before? Right? And why do we call it that? Because his salvation experience was so dramatic, so incredible, so out of the ordinary that we call it a Damascus Road experience. So he is basically thrown from his horse. If he was on a horse, which he probably was, he was blinded and he got off the ground converted. Unbelievable. It's so dramatic. It's, it's amazing. So in the first part of Acts, he's always identified as Saul until you get to chapter 13. And the last time he's going to be called Saul is, verse, is chapter 13. And then from then on and throughout the world, he will be known as the Apostle Paul and the Apostle to the Gentiles. So the only other time Paul will mention his former name of Saul is when he's conveying his testimony. And numerous times he says this, Jesus said to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Why are you kicking against the goads? Why are you persecuting me? He identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, this is important, is it not? You may drive down the road uh, at times and look over and see the Church of the Apostles or uh, the Apostle 
apostolic church. Or, and you may think, what, what does that actually mean? Well, fact, the fact of the matter is, apostle is used in at least three ways in the New Testament. The first way is, a, is in the technical sense. The second is a semi-technical sense. And the third is a non-technical sense. So the technical use would refer to specifically the twelve. I only have ten fingers. Put two more, right? It, it, in particular, that's what it's speaking of. If you want to cross-reference, you would look at Matthew 10, verse 2. And you would look at Acts 1, 13. Now we know that Matthias was brought in after one of the original was of the devil, right, Judas. And so what's important is that they were, and Paul, were chosen and commissioned by Jesus Christ for a unique position in the founding of the church. He, uh, this will be remind, you'll be reminded of this in chapter 2, verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, but Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So that is the technical sense of the word apostle. So there is not only that sense, but there's also a semi-technical usage. And you'll see this as commissioned. Usually these apostles are commissioned by the church. Sometimes by Christ as well, semi-technical. But many times by the church. And we know of James. We know of Barnabas. And even possibly Apollos. And then there's the non-technical use that refers to a messenger and or representative that is sent out. That's the, that's the root meaning. An emissary being sent out with an assignment. Epaphroditus would be one of these. And there's another time when it talks about Titus's two companions. And that would be the non-technical sense. Which sense do you think Paul is emphasizing here? Technical, semi, or non he is emphasizing the technical sense of being an apostle. In other words, we might say this is the capital A, right? He is the capital A apostle. They, they were chosen by Christ himself, and they were commissioned by Christ himself. So Paul was not a member, right, of the original 12. <clears throat> However, he meets all the qualifications of an apostle because God saved him on the road to Damascus. He saw the resurrected Christ. He was personally commissioned by Christ directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul calls himself one born out of due time. But yet, an apostle he was. So, they become the very foundation of the church. We read that, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20. So, we could rightly refer to our church as an apostolic church. But I want to remind you, there are... There's not a single apostle with a capital A alive today. The last one died on the Isle of Patmos around 90 A.D. And that was John. Okay? He was the last one. So people who claim to be an apostle with a capital A, you tell them they're a liar. All right. Well, you know, I'm just shooting straight with you. They don't exist. Okay? Now, the, 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 the non-technical sense of being an emissary and being sent out, apostello, yes, of course. We know that for a fact, but not the ones with the capital A, wherein the church was built on its foundation. So we could rightly say that as long as we're built on what the New Testament teaches, 
and what the apostles gave us and the prophets, then thus we are, in a sense, an apostolic church, being built upon and commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ as given to us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Now, was Paul's apostolic authority ever challenged? Well, you better believe it. That's, because, that's the reason why many, many times he begins uh, an epistle like this one. Uh, others, he spends a lot of ink defending the fact <clears throat> that he was called by the Lord. It would be easy for them to say, now, Paul, you're not one of the fishing buddies. You're not one of the Jerusalem few. Where did you come from, even, the Saul of Tarsus? You're, 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 you are a Johnny-come-lately. And they would challenge him many, many times. And again, Paul would, he's going to give us autobiographically another sketch when you get to chapter 3. But since we're here, uh, let me show you a couple of places where he deals with his apostolic authority. Romans chapter 1 verses 1 through 5. Put your eyes on the scripture, right? We're recognizing the sovereignty of God in the call to serve Christ. And that's exactly what Paul is doing. Chapter 1, verse 1 of Romans. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of the name, um, for His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ. So, Paul was an apostle. How? By the will. Of God, And then just flip over, if you would, flip back to your left from Ephesians, and you will land in Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Boy, is this ever rich. This text is amazing. Listen to this. Galatians 1, 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through... Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Skip down to verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Boy, if we ever need to get something straight in our world, the gospel we preach, ladies and gentlemen, is not a man's gospel. That's another sermon, okay? For I did not receive it from any man. Y'all listen. No one came to Paul and shared the gospel. Are y'all listening? No man did that. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ, i.e. Acts 9. Y'all with me? For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he, who had set me apart before I was born. Y'all listening? When did God do this? He set him apart before he was ever born. Is God's grace amazing or what? You should never sing amazing grace the same way again. That's what makes grace amazing. 
and who called me by his grace. When? When he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Uh, What a verse of scripture. So I'm emphasizing how amazing grace is and the call of God. I didn't get it from Jerusalem. I didn't even get it from seminary. I got it directly from Jesus. He's the one who revealed the gospel to me. He taught me the gospel. Uh, Our God called him by his grace, revealed his son to him. So Paul's salvation and his apostleship were through the sovereign, eternal, unchangeable will of God. Now, you may not be convinced that your, that your call of God is from the will of God. That's, up, that's between you and the Lord. Okay? You may not be convinced that what you do in life is the will of God for you. But I'm telling you what, Paul was convinced. No amens? Did y'all not hear what I just read? Do you believe it's the word of God? Then was Paul convinced that he was saved by the will of God and commissioned by the will of God? Now, get this. He was a hater. Of Christianity. Just imagine you getting on your horse one day and you're going to take a leisurely ride up to Damascus. Why? Because you're going to deliver some letters up there to remind them that all Christians should be persecuted and killed. And all of a sudden you get knocked off your horse. And the very one you hated, you now love and serve. Folks, that's grace. And some of you can think about what it was like to be dead in your sins. Going your own way, all of a sudden, with the kindness of Christ being manifested in your life, everything changed. And you haven't ever been the same since. There are many of you in this very place who believe that you are a Christian because of the will of God. You knew that at one time you had absolutely no use for Jesus. And all of a sudden, you've come to realize that you are a Christian today because of the grace of Jesus and the will of God. It does not depend upon the man who wills or the man who runs, but in God who shows mercy. Paul knew it. He knew what he was before. He knew what he was before. He knew what he was now. And he knew he heard this from the Lord Jesus Christ. So as he picks up his pen to write, He does all this as an apostle according to the will of God. Now, folks, this means this. He writes it with the authority of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. So through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul gives us these words, but they are the very words of God. So... Recognize the sovereignty of God in the call of God to serve the Lord our God. Number two, acknowledge God's call to holiness and faith. Notice chapter 1, 1b. I'm in Galatians. That's not good. Ephesians. I just had to flip one page. It would be fine to preach Galatians, but we're going to do that later, okay? To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Acknowledge God's call to holiness and faith in Christ. Now, what is the status of the recipients of this letter? Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher of old, said that this is the minimum of what it means to be a Christian. Saints and faithful. Are you guys ready for this? It says saints 
That can't be for you, right? There's no way this letter is for us. Because it says saints. Mm, right? Now, folks, I want to remind you we're not talking about dead people that have three miracles given to their credit. It's not who we're talking about. We're talking about people who are alive. Living people. We are not talking about St. Jude. We're not talking about St. Francis. We're not even talking about St. Joseph's. Yeah, get my directions right, right? Y'all didn't even follow me with that, right? We're not talking about St. Bartholomew. We're talking about people who are alive. We're not talking about people who evolve into sainthood, which is categorically impossible. That's not in the Bible, anywhere. We're not talking about a statue put in some kind of city that people go and bow down to and pray to. Right? That's not what we're talking about. It simply means holy ones. Now, who can claim in this building to be a holy one? Stand up. Get up. Are you a holy one? I mean, we're not going to stand and do that because we feel like, well, do I have the audacity to say that I'm one of the holy ones and I'm going to stand up? Well, Paul is not talking about people who are morally a cut above everyone else. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about regular run-of-the-mill, ordinary, everyday Christians. The word saint in the Old Testament, the word saint has an Old Testament background to it. I'm not going to read all the text of Scripture, but you should. But it was a term commonly used under the Old Covenant for the people of God. Did you know they were called the Holy Ones? In Hebrew, they were. Because they were chosen by God and consecrated by God unto His service. You are my people who are called by my name. Ownership, responsibility, right, comes with that. If you will read Exodus 19, 5 through 6, you will find that he's going to make them his, as his nation, as his holy ones. If you read Leviticus eleven forty five, he tells the people that I'm calling you unto myself to reflect my purity in the integrity of your lives. Peter's going to pick up on this, right? When he says, be holy as my Father is holy. So he's referring to believers reading this letter. The people of God were called to be holy. Thus, the division of the sermon is acknowledge God's call to holiness. Now again, if you are saved today, then there are no substitutes. There's no counterfeits. There, you can't, you're either a saint in the south, we'd say, or you ain't. Okay? You're either a saint or you are not a saint. Okay? Now... Holiness does not expressly have to do with external standards of culture or church. Now look, if you are saved, there will be some external differences to you. Okay, But in the root sense of what it means to be a saint, this has something to do with position. Positionally, when you're saved by grace through faith, you have the status of being sanctified, set apart, and holy. Sainthood is separate from our legalistic list of what we think it means to be a saint. Okay? Y'all understand? It's not like you attain sainthood by refusing to own a TV. It's not like you can be half a saint if you have a TV but refuse to have DVR. Okay? Are you getting this? You don't bec- you're not a saint because of the legalistic things that you may keep and think others ought to keep them. 
Thus, if you think that is salvation, then you're a Pharisee. That's the same thing they did. They had their list. 655 of them, I think I'm right. As an extrapolation of the law, Ten Commandments. And they were forming a hedge around so that they didn't fall off the cliff. And thought that that would redeem them. But Jesus said, you're a whitewashed tomb. Right? You have external conformity. Right? But you're not changed on the inside. Sainthood has nothing to do with how long your dress is. This is especially true if you're a woman. Now, I have to say that today. I'm sorry, but I have to say that. (laughs) All righty. Okay. Certainly, a woman who seeks to have a godly demeanor and uh, represent Christ well will be concerned about the length of her dress. Amen? That is true. You should. Uh, You should read and understand that what God looks upon is the preciousness of the heart. Not how you make yourself up on the outside. We need to learn that, don't we? Yet the three-inch rule doesn't make you a saint. I was a youth minister one time. Remember, Dollar bill to the knee. Even with shorts, right? Sainthood simply means that you have been set apart. Okay, you get this? How are God's people set apart? We are set apart from sin. Get the preposition. Set apart from sin. A saint is one who has been set apart from sin. That doesn't mean you're sinless perfected. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect in your obedience. It means that there has been a radical break with the old life. It does not mean that, again, you are sinless perfected. There has been a separation that has taken place that has been created in you. And if you're saved, there has to be an acknowledgement of the new man and an awareness that there's an old part that's not redeemed. Okay? Are y'all getting this? If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Identity change. Old is passed away, and behold, all things become new. Listen to the NLT. What this means is that those who have become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore, for the old life is gone, and a new life has begun. Why y'all looking at me so strange? Did y'all not know that was in the Bible? This is what... You are, if you are set, you're a saint. You're set apart from sin. It would, be, it would do you well to memorize Romans 6. You know how that starts? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? If you skip down to verse 7, it reminds us that those who have been saved by grace through faith, the old man is crucified, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Are y'all listening? When you are a new man, you don't serve sin. Your obedient bent is toward honoring the master. Okay? Set apart from sins. Jesus, the angel said to Joseph concerning Jesus, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are not what we want to be. But praise the Lord, we are not what we used to be. We're set apart from sin. However, it also means that you're set apart unto Christ. So, saints, what does it mean? Set apart from sin, set apart unto Christ. You're separated from sin, but you're separated unto God. You're called to serve the head of the church. Set apart to serve others in the household of faith. 
So to be a holy one does not have to do with the length of your skirts. It doesn't have anything to do with the amount of makeup you wear or the color of your socks. It means you are set apart from sin and you are set apart unto God who actually sanctified you. First Peter says you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. These are the Christians that compose the church. Saints. Okay? So you can go ahead and start calling yourself Saint Pam. Right? Saint Debbie. Saint Daniel. Okay? And it has nothing to do with Catholicism. It has everything to do with what the biblical word is. Now, understand you are surrounded by saints today no matter what you think the definition of holy is. You are, you are around people who are holy. Is there a responsibility for being a saint? Should the quality of your life look different when you are set apart from sin and set apart unto God? I would venture to say that the world knows something about being a Christian that we seem to have forgotten today. And that is Christians are supposed to be different. Folks, even the world knows this. But the sad re reality is those who profess to be saints of God today are scarcely different from the lost world around us. And that's a shame. Notice the saints are in Ephesus. Why is that important? Did you know that people often refer to the visible church and the invisible church? Well, the problem with that is there's no word in the Bible that calls the church invisible. Now, I would venture to say that some church members are invisible on Sundays because they never show up. But here's what we really have. You have the universal church, okay, which would make up those who are saints in Christ that are not here today with us. They're all over this world, okay? But I would venture to say to you that if they understand ecclesiology, they will be sitting in a church and worshiping the Lord today with the other saints, the New Testament knows nothing of invisible Christians. And that's why it addresses the people in Ephesus. Now, granted, this was probably a circular letter. There were probably house churches all over Ephesus, okay? And it was intended to be circular and read among those. But make no mistake about it. Saints should be visible in the body of Christ. Period. You cannot belong to Jesus and not belong to a body of believers. Listen to this designation. Okay, so first, acknowledge God's call to holiness. And how about, and faith in Christ. Notice this designation, faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, this would be the adjectival form of faith. It can be rendered believing ones or believers. You believe all that you should believe about Jesus Christ. In other words, to be a saint is to be faithful, and to be faithful is to be a saint. Okay, they're used interchangeably. You believe all that you should believe. And you've put your faith and trust in the one who was crucified for your sins and raised for our justification. You believe that he has ascended unto the Father, poured out his spirit among his people, and will gloriously return again. So there is a basic assumption in the New Testament, and that is this. Believers are among the faithful. Okay? We hold to the faith. We defend the faith. We can be depended upon because we know the faith. We believe it and we trust in Christ. Those are the faithful. Right? Now, is there room in Paul's vocabulary for an unfaithful believer? I think not. 
Now, are there believers who struggle? I'm in that realm, and so are you. And so was Paul, Romans 7. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. But no such thing as an unfaithful believer given to us in the Bible. Uh, Aren't these two things synonymous? To be a believer is to be faithful. And to be faithful is to be believing. Please notice that it is faithful in who? Christ Jesus. In Paul's writings, he's going to use, he will use this expression. In 13 epistles, he uses this expression 164 times. Do y'all think that's important to Paul? The, the phrase, in Christ Jesus? Think about this for a moment. All believers are saints and all saints are faithful. It's not that we have the Marine Corps up here and then we have the Air Force down here. That's not what we're saying, okay? There's not classes of Christians. That's unknown in the Bible. There's no super class Christian. You are a saint or you are not. The only division that exists in this building today would be a division between those who know Christ and those who do not. That's the only division in the Bible. We have those who, have, who are dead in their sins and then we have those who are alive in Christ. And if you are a saint, then you are faithful in Jesus Christ. And note this. The church is made up of believers and saints only. And I have to say that today. Why? Because there are, there's something called unregenerate church membership. Churches are full of people who are on the roll, but they don't know Christ. Think about that. And sometimes people will demand their rights. I want to be a member of that church, even though they haven't trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. Folks, there's coming a day when this is going to get worse. And the church must stand and say, only believers can join the church. Only believers. Okay, quickly. Embrace God's grace and peace through Christ. What an awesome expression. Grace and peace to you. So Paul here is going to abandon the normal Greek greeting. Carry on would be greetings. But he uses charis, which is grace, right? Charis is grace. So he uses grace to you. And grace will be used ten more times in this epistle. How do we define grace? It is God's free and sovereign favor given to the ill-deserving. Now, some of you have probably heard the expression undeserving, but I would beg to differ. It is the ill-deserving. Notice what I said. It is free and sovereign. What does that mean? If we say God's grace, then what's that mean? It comes from God alone. Does that make sense? If you're saved by God's grace, then that grace has to come from God alone. It is not coerced out of God by us. If you do that, it's not grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God, not of... If you can coerce by your works, it's not grace. It is not coerced. It's not earned from God. It's freely given. Grace is also grace because God, God gives it to whomever He pleases. If your understanding of grace doesn't fit that category, then you are not talking about the grace of God. It must fit that category. He alone gives it. And honestly, if God is God, then he can give that grace to whomever he pleases. That's what the Bible teaches. So grace, by its definition, must be free and sovereign, or it's not grace. And God has given it to whomever he pleases. It's not only free and sovereign, it's also given to the ill-deserving. It's not simply the undeserved. Are y'all tracking with me? We all certainly fit that category. 
that we would not deserve the divine favor of God. But it's more than that. Grace is not merely giving favor to someone who does not deserve it. It is giving favor to someone who actually deserves punishment. Have you read the Bible lately? Romans 3 of our condition before God. No one seeks after God. Our, our mouth is an open sepulcher. There's no way, any way possible for us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and bring ourselves to God. You can't do that. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's no one that seeks after God. It is giving favor to someone who actually deserves the punishment. The Bible says we are at enmity with God before we're saved. Now, you, I don't, I'm not saying you thought about that before God redeemed your heart, but that's the category God puts you in. You're alienated from the life of God. You are a, a literal enemy of God. That's what the Bible says. We're not just poor and undeserving creatures. We are poor and ill-deserving creatures, and that's what makes grace grace. Ill-deserving. Now, you may be willing to help someone who is undeserving, but think with me for a moment. How many of you would help someone who is ill-deserving? Someone who would spit in your face. Are you thinking back to the cross of Calvary? Rob you blind, kill your son, and seek to defame you. How many of you would be would show favor to that kind of person. But that's what Jesus did for you. Are y'all listening? That's what makes grace, grace. Paul, in this Christ-centered greeting, says grace to you. Did you know, folks, it is the word grace that sums up all of God's grand work of salvation. And it is from beginning to end through Christ. And the Bible clearly teaches that it's grace at the beginning, grace in the middle, and grace all the way to the end. That's what the Word of God teaches. And then he says peace. Irene. Peace is the fruit of grace. And if there's a play on words between Karain greetings and Karis grace, then there's a Hebrew play on words between shalom and peace, given the New Testament way. Why? Because Romans 5 says and you now have peace with God. Through how? The Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. So again, peace is going to be used multiple times in this particular, six more times in this epistle. And so it is grace and shalom be to you. Folks, this is a peace that comes from God. Not only peace with God, and you can't have peace with God unless you're saved, but we're also talking about the peace of God that reigns in your life. Isn't that awesome? You have peace with God. And you have the peace of God. Folks, this affects more than just the vertical dimension. Thank God for the peace we have with Him. But it also should affect the horizontal peace that we have with others. If someone is, uh, can't forgive, holding grudges. You know, this happens in Baptist churches. Right? If you can't forgive that person, it, it suffices. It seems to me that you don't understand what it took to give you peace with God. You don't realize what was given on Calvary in order for you to have peace with God, being ill-deserving. So for us to hold a grudge is totally against the peace that we say we have with our Maker. Okay, I'm meddling now, right? So it is peace that comes from being justified with Christ. It is peace that comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit of God, right? Is it not one of the fruit of the Spirit? That we have this peace in us. So the source of this peace, according to the text, is God our Father. Grace and peace comes from God our Father. He has redeemed us. 
adopted us, regenerated us, regenerated us, made us his sons and daughters. It says it is in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just think, Jesus said the peace I give to you is not the peace in this world, it's my peace. It's the peace of Christ that he gives us. And notice Paul is an apostle through Christ Jesus. Now check this out, we are saints and faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now the grace and peace of God comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. So do y'all agree that this is a Christocentric greeting? That all of this, he's an apostle by the will of God. We, we stand as saints because we're in Christ. And we've been given grace and peace. And we've been given all of this because of Jesus. Now my question today is, do you have a claim on this letter? Have you ever opened up any mail that wasn't yours? Get your, get your hands slapped when they get home, especially if there's some money in there, right? If I'm getting some, uh, a new book, if Don brings a book into my office and he opens it before I get it, I... No, I don't do that, sure enough. But I like to get books. I like to uh, open up something that might be from Bass Pro. I'm just, you know, past appreciation in the future, just kind of lay that out there for you. I love, I love Bass Pro stuff, right? All right? But look, there's something to be said about this letter. Because you have to ask yourself, is this addressed to me? Saints and faithful. Is it addressed to me? But I want to remind you, if you say today, no, it's not addressed to me, you can be a believer, a faithful believer, by simply appropriating the grace of God that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. It's the only way to be saved. Okay? And you can leave this place knowing full well that not only did you receive grace, but you have peace that surpasses all understanding. So you may not have been a recipient of this letter when you came in, but I'm telling you it's by grace that you're saved through faith. But faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. You can leave this place today as a saint. But it doesn't depend on you, your works. It depends on the one who stood in your stead and died on Calvary's tree. Would you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance the hymn writer got it right. Did he not? Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. You know what? Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Sing it. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, here it is, grace that is greater than all our sin. You know, that's the biblical verse. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Hallelujah for grace. Okay, we made it through verses 1 and 2. <laughs> Next week, we might do verses 3 and 4. Okay? Let's pray. God, you've been good to us, Lord. And we thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the peace that we stand in all because of Jesus. We praise you for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mrs. Sue Halbert, are you here? There she is, up way up in the balcony. You know, it's a different day. Let's, can we get a picture up? 
We're waiting. Okay. There she, we've, we've met her on the big screen. Okay. Miss Sue belongs to Kelly Beats. It's her mom. And she's moved down here from the St. Louis area. And she wants this to be her church home. So I met with her this week. And so she's a new member. Okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And Jerry Heimdale has been a member here for 100 years. And he's been, he's come three different times. And moved back and forth with family and all. But he's back with us. Mr. Jerry's standing in the back. And he has come back here to live and join our church. All right. All right. To God be the glory. If y'all didn't get enough grace, then come back at 1045 and you can hear it again. Amen. And I'll be in the back. Really, as you go out, if there's anything God has spoken to your heart about, I will speak to you about it. And uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to open things back up for the altar. And we're just going gonna to trust the Lord. So pray that God will allow us to do that. All right? Well, as we go, let's stand together as we sing Amazing Grace. We'll sing about it. And there, there's ushers in the back to receive your offering as we go. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was great, but now I see. Twas grace. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. My chains are gone. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing.